Welcome to another episode of Usology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? What's up, Justin? Happy belated Halloween. How are you doing? Good, man. Um, I didn't know it was April Fool's Day. You're right. I thought it was hap- I thought it was Halloween just because on Twitter, I don't know if you caught this. Uh, I replied to it like 30 minutes ago while we were just you know talking. Um, they came out with the these new Chicago Bulls uniforms. You know how they have alternate uniforms for the upcoming season, and mm-hmm. it looks mm-hmm. terrible. Uh, oh no. Have- yellow around it i know our um our guest that we had on a couple of days ago matt peck replied to it he was like what the hell is this i'm like i agree (laughs) (laughs) it looks terrible so i don't know if you were able to to check that out i don't know if it was i'm not sure the original tweet came from like it was in i guess spanish or portuguese so i'm not even sure if it's even real i hope it's fake because it looks it looks god awful you know, the only thing I saw was the John ja Morant uh, responding to the Memphis Grizzly one, which oh. looked like an awesome uniform. It actually looked uh, looked really cool, kind of um, a little bit of a throwback to the Vancouver Grizzly days. Okay, uh, with that that nice shade of teal on uh, on the lining of of that uniform. I'll have to. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get on Twitter now, actually, and see if I can see your response, but. Uh, Shocks me about the Bulls. Usually they're pretty solid with their uni choices. I have to disagree. I've been, I, and I, this has been something that I've always had a huge issue with just in terms of like my fandom of teams. All the teams that I pick, they have terrible fashion choices and uniforms. Like the <laughs> Bulls, I feel like they're pretty basic. Like it's kind of a classic look, but it's kind of like you need an update, um, you know, crossing over the other sports i don't know the 49ers their jerseys are they're good but like other teams have way better jerseys like the rockies their jerseys suck like as even like the you know the lobos they like that they, they had the native american teal uniforms those were cool i like those and i like the alternate black uniforms they had back in the day like those were pretty cool but a lot of still like i don't know i think a lot of the other teams, they have better fashion choices. That's one of the – I hate sticking to my rule, man, of you know, picking – wearing teams' clothes that I'm a fan of only. Like I can't wear a Golden State uniform, a Golden State Warriors clothing because I feel like I'd be cheating on my team. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, this uh, this Chicago uniform is very different from, from what I'm looking <laughs> at. looks like the font is maybe going for like Chicago the musical – I guess. something like that yeah. I, yeah but that the yellow in the border uh or on the like trim on the outside it's really kind of confusing i so i guess they went they went a little too different a little more different than you would like yeah i agree i hope it's fake so we'll just we'll have to wait and see until we get like an official uh press release from uh the nba to see if that's real uh but nevertheless welcome to Hoopsology. um on today's show we're going to have our special guest. He is the host of NBA's GM School, NBA TV's GM School, excuse me, Ben Lyons. Um, you might have seen Ben back in the day on a movie review show. Him and Ben Makowitz um, took over the um, Cisco and Ebert um, movie review show. I don't know if you watched those shows back in the day, Matt, when um, you know you had nothing to do on a Saturday afternoon and you wanted to see what movies got two thumbs up. Um, 
when that show left, um, I believe this show took the place of that, or at least it was in the same time span. So um, I've known of Ben Lyons for a long time, and he's a huge basketball fan. And recently I caught him online um, as the host of this NBA uh, TV's GM school, and really a fascinating YouTube show. All the episodes are on there, season one, season two, up on the NBA YouTube channel. So go check that out. We had a fun chat with him. We discussed the creation of that TV show. We talked about um, his opinions on the NBA bubble regarding the pandemic and social justice and how athletes are crossing over into the entertainment industry. Um, it was a really fun chat. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a pleasure having him on. We're really excited for you guys to listen to that. And also we have a ton of interviews in our archive, which we'll go over just after um, we're done talking about these topics, but uh, please go check that out on our podcast feed. But right now we're going to discuss some news that's been happening within the league. And I would say some tumultuous times, man. Um, when the pandemic started and really when the bubble ended, for the most part, we seen the league pretty unified just in terms of everybody working together from the players and owner's standpoint but now i mean money's taken over and we've seen some huge uh, pushback in terms of when the league should start and this comes from Woj. um here's a direct quote um the league and players at odds in terms of beginning the nba season um story on the nba and nba pa impasse on agreeing on a december start of the season um the league fears that delaying until january could cost up to five hundred million to one billion in losses for next season and beyond. Um, what are your direct thoughts on this? Just talking to our insiders, I get the sense that a lot of players are itching kind of get back onto the court, especially Agreed. those teams that didn't participate in the bubble. Um, are you surprised to hear about this? A little bit, yeah. Because like, like you said, a lot of our insiders, uh, like that great interview that you did with Kareth, which you guys can check out, um, you know, she was talking about the Warriors really itching to get back to it. Um, I think Matt Peck even brought up this past week, yeah. our, our last episode, that the Bulls were really itching to get back to scrimmaging. I mean, you'd have to imagine at least any team that wasn't in the bubble is dying to get back to playing. Ultimately, uh, I, I don't know if you saw the video, but there was a really kind of neat and concise breakdown of the cap issue uh and and the way the revenue is distributed on the espn article by woge where windhorse uh basically just took us through you know 50 percent of the revenue is through tv deals 10 percent is from other so i assume like sponsorships other marketing uh and then 40 percent is through arena revenue and obviously that's the the portion that we might be missing out on as the mm -hmm. nba looks to resume in december with you know the pandemic being what it is that we've talked about ad nauseum uh so I'll, I'll spare you guys on that um but really i think once the players have the time to digest this and meet with the, the union reps a little bit more i i think in their heart of hearts they know that the best move is to get back to this in December, even though they're going to have to take pay cuts. There's just there's no other way. And it's it's not something that is uneven between the players and the owners. The owners are going to be taking a pay hit as well. To me, I, I really think at the end of the day, they will prefer to play starting in December, even if there are no fans present, rather than wait until January and have 50 a 50 game season where you have 50 game checks coming in versus potentially up to a 72 
game season. Um, and the difference between December and January from a pandemic standpoint doesn't seem like it's it's going to allow time for the amount of fans that you would have coming in to make up for the revenue lost by missing out on potentially those 22 games or whatever the number ends up being. So I do think the players are going to have to understand that they're going to have to take a little bit less money. Uh, well, actually, I'm sorry, a lot less money, potentially like 30% less money on their contracts. Um, and it's it's unfortunate, but it's it's something that's across the board and I, I don't think is, is outrageous. Uh, if things go south, you know, we could have kind of the quote-unquote doomsday scenario where the CBA becomes, the collective bargaining agreement becomes invalid and we don't have a season. I think that would be the absolute worst thing for all parties uh, to happen. So hopefully the players are are willing to do that. I don't know. I, I know you mentioned the the willingness to scrimmage. Do you think players are willing to take that pay cut and play? That's a massive pay cut. And not to mention, too, yeah. with coronavirus cases going up, I mean, things may go on lockdown again. I mean, even hearing about the U.K., I mean, they're going on tighter restrictions, you know, in that country as well. And cases are spiking everywhere. So if you're an NBA player, like you're going to cut 30 percent of my salary and you can't really guarantee the season's going to you know, go on. I mean, you could be in a situation, you know, the season starts, you know, in December and we're on lockdown again for another couple of months and you're still seeing that pay cut. I mean, for players like, you know, the top elite of the league, they're going to be fine, right? It's just like, you know, whoopsie do on a 30%, you know, salary cut. I agree with you. But for rookies entering the league um, and, and other players who don't necessarily see that money immediately, that's going to be a huge struggle for them. So I just think from a player standpoint, I'm kind of with them um, in terms of waiting until there's a lot more stability. If they, if the NBA can somehow guarantee that this season can go on without um, a without any delay, then I think it's fine. But we've seen huge problems with the NFL. We've seen problems with the with Major League Baseball. Um, problems again with even something else like the WWE. Um, that people traveling in and out of a certain situation in terms of airplane flights, people are going to get COVID. And it's just a foregone conclusion. Yeah. You're not going to be able to contain it. And the only way to guarantee a hundred percent containment is a bubble. It's the only way. Um, and I know um, you'll hear in our interview later on with Ben Lyons, <laughs> he is not for that idea of seeing another NBA bubble. Um, but neither am I. Of, yeah. In terms of safety. I mean, that's really going to be the only way. And I think the saving grace is and I think it's it's a delicate balance um, because right now, at least at the moment, we haven't seen a massive spike in coronavirus deaths. At the same time, we don't know what this virus does long term. So, I mean, for somebody who's asymptomatic, we don't know what this virus does two years from now if you get it. So, really, don't know the long term consequences of, of this of this virus. So, it's all very speculative. So. At this point, if I'm the players, there needs to be some assurances that the season is going to be completed. And a 30% pay cut is is massive. And right now, I do – I get the sense 
our country probably won't go on a massive lockdown. Just even based on our state, Matt, look at the We've had the most cases by far easily um, since the pandemic started in New Mexico and things aren't shut down here. And we have a very strict governor and mm-hmm. um, I just don't see that happening. If, you know, if cases do get worse, I still think arenas will be used to play these games. There won't be any fans of them. Um, and you'll miss that revenue that you were mentioning in terms of the fan, um, the ticket buying. But in terms of the, the season being resumed, I think that is a legit concern. I do think that there won't be any kind of a delay. But a 30% pay cut, to answer your question, <laughs> I don't think the players are going to be cool with it. I think that's going to be negotiated to more like 20%, 15%. I even think that's a lot for players, to be honest. Yeah, I just – I don't know that uh... – that they're going to have much leverage as, as far as that goes. Cause the owners true. are, are taking a hit as well. Uh, so they it's, are. It's, true. it's not something like, Hey players, you take less and, and we're going to make as much as we did. I mean, we, of course we all know the owners make more relatively speaking uh, since, since they own the teams, they have their other business ventures, but, but this is something where the revenue of the league is split 50, 50. Uh, so you would assume the losses in in that CBA would be split um, split evenly as well, or or lost evenly. The other thing I think that's worth pointing out, and I mean this this is something that you know you and I aren't going to resolve this problem today. Uh, we're going to have to see the next big date is uh, this upcoming Friday. They're going to meet and, and discuss next steps and try and finalize or extend a day to finalize the CBA and and the upcoming plan. Um, which they've already done four times, by the way. So, so there is the feeling that they want to get this done. They just, they just need to time to negotiate it. And uh, like you said, come, come to the players with, here's our solid plan. Um, but, but the other thing that's important to mention is that we do have the Olympics uh, next year. So that is part of the reason that Adam Silver and the ownership seems to want to push for this to start as early as possible in December so we can have as many games as possible before the Olympics start because there are real concerns about competing against the Summer Olympics uh, when that kicks off, I believe, in July. Um, And then there are also concerns about the schedule uh, being shifted out and long-term impacts on that on future seasons. Uh, So ultimately, I mean, yeah, 30% pay cut is huge, but if, I mean, we have to keep in mind also that if a season doesn't happen, then we could be looking at, you know, 0% pay uh, for that year because uh, things things might just be off the table. Um, and also, I think we have to think of the the long-term impacts of TV revenue for future CBA dealings if the NBA uh, were to start later and then cross over into Olympic airtime, it might negatively affect negotiations that they can make in future CBA. Now, again, I can't say that with 100% certainty, of course. I'm I'm just kind of listing the the concerns on both sides that that I've read about to this point. Um, again, next this upcoming Friday uh, is is the next big date in this, and we will keep you guys updated on that. Did you have any other Thoughts on this? 
No, I think your point's well taken about the Olympics. I mean, I know in Japan they want to get tourism opened up, and I've seen events, you know, with fans. It's happening. And again, um, not to always put pro wrestling in a discussion, but I think it's relevant. You know, um, they're the biggest wrestling promotion in Japan, New Japan Pro Wrestling. They're doing two events in the Tokyo Dome both days. Mm. Uh, limited capacity, 20,000 people. That's the rumors. Um, so. If that's the case, then I think Japan is full ahead with the Olympics. Um, yeah. So I think that is going to be a thing. So um, I can see why the NBA is, is proactive on on hitting that. And I agree with you, Matt. The the players have little leverage, if any, on the situation um, just because there needs to be a league. You need to play in order to make money. <laughs> um, and the bottom line with these players is it, it's only going to go about so much time where – you can't get a season started and you're going to be missing all of that revenue. So ultimately I think the players will work this out. I don't see any like public, like, you know, staunched animosity in terms of beginning Mm -hmm. the season in Christmas. Like I think I'd be more worried if we're seeing like LeBron and Chris Paul and Melo and all these other players actively have a press conference with Michelle Roberts saying, Hey, we're against Adam Silver and starting the season here like mm-hmm. and taking it super public we haven't seen that yet so maybe i'm naive but it seems like they'll be able to to work this out and i think the owners are from are, are negotiating from a power position for sure and let me just say one more thing is that i i think one of maybe one of the unintended uh positives about the bubble season is i think the owners did a good job, and this is just my opinion, of showing the players that they do care about them. And Adam Silver did a good job of setting up, obviously, that safe environment in the bubble. So even if we don't return to a bubble, I think maybe there has been some more good confidence and um, just just good rapport built between these players and owners. Like it, It seems like it's been in my eyes anyway, at least a little bit friendlier than it's been in years past between those two parties um, coming together to negotiate, like with certain things that the players wanted um, with, you know, um, with their boycott um, during the bubble and and things like that. Uh, I think, I think that was a healthy thing to happen between these two groups for them to work together like that. So I think that might extend into goodwill into bringing this season about, but you know, you can always criticize me and call me the eternal optimist because because I definitely am that as well. But anyway, that's that's the last thing I got on this. No, I think it's true. I think from a player standpoint, like they gave a lot um, in, in terms of the social justice aspect. And I realize this is money. It's it's, you know, the playing field is different. At the same time, we're under these are highly unusual circumstances. I mean, this is not your regular CBA here. Um, and so. I think the players are will probably be willing to bend in this situation, even though they're not going to be thrilled about it. Um, and, and this this plays into another um, tweet from Shams um, stating that the NBA has sent um, its 30 teams the game presentation protocols um, for um, the conditions of the upcoming season, um, enhanced theatrical lighting, crowd from the arena noises, 2K, pre-recorded chants, and the possibility of arena entertainers. Um, let's just say this does happen in terms of, you know, that the season resumes in, in December and we do see um, 
players traveling to NBA city to NBA city. How do you think that's going to be different from a regular, um, I guess not from a regular season from, from, from the bubble in particular, do you think this is kind of like going back to normal in terms of having a home road schedule? Um, or do you think this could be bring its own set of issues from a player standpoint, just because, you know, you're playing in this big giant empty arena compared to the bubble. I mean, it wasn't really an arena it's a gym. So it was like, you almost you're playing YMCA pickup and it was very enclosed. This is, you I mean, you can hide it all you want to, but you're still, you know, in front of no fans. So, how do you think the presentation is going to look based on this uh, tweet from Shams? Uh, I think the presentation will look similar to the bubble in in many ways. Um, it's I, I just think there's going to be more volatility with travel being involved. Um, these guys have uh, private jets and or I'm sorry, these teams have private jets and things like that now. So so I do think that. From that side, like traveling from city to city, these guys can stay pretty contained. But I am worried about instances like thinking about Lou Williams going to get, quote unquote, chicken wings. Uh, thinking of right. uh, there yeah. was a Rockets player who who brought in uh, a female friend to the bubble uh, who was kicked out of the bubble for it. And I, I can't remember his name, nor uh, do I care to put him on blast. But But things like that, I think, are more concerning to me about... Um, about this next season um, and the potential for that, you know, causing games to be delayed from positive uh, cases uh, rather than the, the specific uh, display and look and feel of the games. I think uh, the NBA put out a great product with the bubble playoffs uh, in, in terms of presentation and how that looked and felt. I think they can continue that, but do you, do you have um, other doubts or thoughts about that and compared to how the, how it'll look, or how it looked on the bubble? Um, I don't think so from a presentation standpoint. I, I am concerned from the players, like with the Bulls, for instance, how it's going to look where just you have a draft coming up, you have a mini camp, you're restricted on how many players can kind of do its thing. I mean, I mean, I guess we can get into it now in terms of another tweet from Sham stating that the NBA has informed its 30 teams that they are now open to open practice facilities for group practices, workouts, and scrimmages up to 10 players, um, sources tell the athletics. So you're not even having like the entire team there. It's up to 10 players. So for a team like the Bulls in which they need to evaluate every player on the roster, I mean, they don't have a set starting five with a new coach with Billy Donovan when the season starts, I think you're going to see a poor product on the court. I think it's going to be more of a concern compared to the bubble, um, just because at least the teams inside the bubble, there are a better, better teams and B had better chemistry. Mm -hmm. And also the intensity was increased immediately where, I mean, now it's a weird season, right? And, it's gonna. T- it takes a while for teams to even take the regular season serious on a regular <laughs> pre-COVID. Um, now in a pandemic, like it's just, it's just gonna be weird. So, I think I'm worried not from a presentation standpoint, from just like the teams actually having any kind of chemistry. That's where my concern comes into play. Um, what What are your thoughts in terms of the 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 practicing? Uh, having only 10 players is that overblown do you think that's fine like that's what's normal or do you see that being a concern when we actually start games again i think that's fine 
I, I think you're right on the money with the rust. I mean, especially considering a lot of these guys haven't, uh, I mean, hopefully they've been practicing, but they haven't played as a unit from the chemistry standpoint. There's going to be that rust for these teams that haven't played since March with each other. Um, you know, hopefully teams have been doing like, like what Kareth had mentioned to you that the Warriors were doing with some scrimmages here and there. They were able to get that done. So hopefully some of these other teams were, were able to do that as well to avoid some of that. But I, I don't think there's any way around it that when we have whenever this season opens, December, January, or, or later, um, there's going to be rust, no doubt. And I, I think it is going to be more severe for these teams that didn't get into the bubble. It's it's almost, uh, you could argue, a competitive disadvantage uh, that, that they didn't get that competitive time, uh, which is why for there was that fringe story for a short while uh, that you probably remember that Jackie McMullen reported on about a potential 18 bubble in Chicago uh, to kind of give those guys a chance to do things like this. Uh, unfortunately, that that didn't happen, wasn't able to happen. And maybe it was a good thing it didn't happen. But uh, but I do think it's going to be rusty. I think the 10 person limit on practices is is fine. I think it's going to be pretty easy. You know, there's a standard health check that you can do for people coming on to work sites. I do it for my own work. Um, and it's, I think you can, you can kind of uh, manage a lot by doing that. So that, that doesn't worry me too much. Um, ultimately, you know, positive cases in practices and things like that is something MLB has dealt with. It's something NFL has dealt with and moving outside of a bubble environment now for the NBA, just realistically, there's going to be taking of some lumps there. There's going to be these instances where guys test positive and then you have practices shut down until we can get guys to test negative multiple times. Uh, and, and that is just going to be, you know, some speed bumps for starting this new NBA season. I, I'd like to be more flowery about that, but I, I think that's just the reality with moving into practices in different cities. And, and like I said, outside of that bubble environment, um, it is interesting though, since there are 15 player rosters. So I wonder how they're going to rotate players in for these, these practices, like maybe five players have, you know, a rest day or some type of different training day on a different location where as 10 guys are getting to scrimmage or, or something like that. Uh, I, I would definitely be curious you know, as things get rolling, when we have another insider on to see how they're managing that. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, it's a new dynamic. So I hate to be boring, but it's just, we're in a wait and see approach of, of what's going on. For sure. Um, hopefully with the product and also with the players, we see a lot more enthusiasm I, I can only say for my Chicago Bulls, it was biasly, we see some motivation, and hopefully Billy Donovan um, can put that together. Um, I wanted to discuss with you the, the hire of um, Daryl Morey, and correct me if I'm wrong, he's the, pres- the president of basketball operations for the 76ers, is that correct? Correct, yeah. So Elton okay. Brand was just extended and is staying on as, as their GM. Got so Daryl Morey will be working over him, and, and I'm guessing closely with him. Got it. Okay, because I'm seeing here, um, actually it was yesterday, Halloween, um, it was Morey and Doc Rivers. It looks like they're having lunch. 
um, and you know they were meeting for personnel decisions. What do you make of this? I think on paper it looks good, but what is if let's put ourselves in like a Philly mindset? I know they're busy focusing on the election, but um, at, at the moment focusing on just this team overall. Lots of turmoil, lots of questions. You know, mm-hmm. two superstars, whether I like it or not, with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Do you think there's a timeline in terms of keeping those two together and making it work? Or are they going to be like, hey, look, if this does not work um, this season, um, we need to cut bait on one of these guys and rebuild towards the, and towards the future. Um, Daryl Morey has a history of just, you know, rearranging the chessboard, so to speak, um, and making his teams win. And not to mention he's a big analytics guy. I mean, he was really behind the small ball um, trend uh, within Houston, obviously, is going to be different considering, you know, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid's height. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you make it as higher? Uh, do you do you like it in terms of getting Simmons and Embiid to play well together? Or do you think this has the recipe to, to not work out so well? So for context, just as a refresher to the listeners, I was not a fan of the Doc Rivers hiring for this team. I, I thought they could have done better. I'm um, just someone who... I think we we know a lot about Doc. I'm I'm not saying he's a bad coach or anything. I just thought it was time for maybe a break from that. But given this hire, I think this is a great compliment to Doc Rivers. You have someone who is very chemistry, um, kind of strong from a chemistry and player relationship standpoint with Doc Rivers. And then you have someone backing him who I think is going to give, be able to give him a roster that can succeed. And I, I like the hire, not even thinking from the Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid standpoint, but thinking from all the deals that Daryl Morey was able to make for the Rockets. And I, I'm someone who I am a Rockets fan. And I was sad to see him leave the Rockets. And this definitely confirms for one thing, this hire confirms that Daryl Morey wasn't serious about his his kids being college aged and him stepping away to take time with his kids because this happened quickly. Right. Uh, yeah, so that that was garbage. <laughs> he obviously did not like the situation in Houston, and it was it was probably just kind of a mutual okay time to time to get out. Um, but I think going back to what I was saying, I I love the idea of Daryl Morey being the the guy who's going to figure out or help figure out in a big way what are we going to do about Al Horford's contract? What are we going to do? Um, about, um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on the highest uh, paid guy of the, the Sixers, small forward, Tobias oh, Harris. Sorry. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you remember. What are we going to do about Harris's contract? <laughs> what are we going to do about Horford's contract? Yeah. Having Daryl Morey at the helm of that, I think he's someone who, if, if there's any chance they can get any type of value, and, and granted, you're going to be getting pennies on the dollar for those contracts if you're looking to deal them. Um, I think he's the person or one of the few people I would want making that decision if they decide to move those players. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think it's the mystery question, the, the question that you asked about what are they going to do about Simmons and Embiid? Because you could argue they have two guys that are somewhere top 20 talent at least, I, I think most people would agree for Joel Embiid. I know you're not the biggest Ben Simmons guy. I agree. He still has a lot to prove. Um, but I think I think it'd be fair to say he's he's like top 30 in terms of like physical talent. Um, sure. But so you could argue he has two stars he can work with. 
or is I, I'm curious to see. I, I would lean towards him trying to get value out of Ben Simmons if he's looking to deal either of those guys because he is someone. I mean, let's keep in mind he brought Dwight Howard into the Rockets, and he's someone who values a guy who can play around the rim and defend around the rim. Uh, so I think Joel could be that piece, and they already have him, obviously. Uh, ben Simmons is more of the question mark for sure. As as much as at certain times on this show, I've tried to defend him and show a vision where Philadelphia could be led by him if they wanted to get rid of Embiid. I think the more logical choice probably is keeping Embiid and looking for value from a much younger Ben Simmons. But do, how do you feel about this hire? Obviously, I'm very bullish on uh, Daryl Morey in general. How do you feel about it as someone who maybe isn't isn't as much in his corner as I am? I like the hire just because, like you said, Matt, that the way they approach the game, they're very on the same page. So it's not like you're, you know, bringing in somebody who has a different ideological standpoint on the game. So that means that they'll be able to uh, make decisions easier as opposed to having friction. Um, and that could work in a positive way, too. But I think in this sense, you, you need the front office to be on the same page and have a cohesive vision uh, to what's going on. Um, and I would also say, you know, with Daryl Morey, in terms of what he brought to Houston, maybe he can do something different with Ben Simmons and Philly, you know, just another form of the offense, something different. Because so far, I just, like I've seen, like you said, Matt, I'm not the biggest fan of Ben Simmons. I think he's super overrated. I don't see the big deal in him. I think he's solid defensively, but as an elite player, I don't understand it. To me, it's like people are trying to talk themselves into thinking Ben Simmons is like an elite player when he's not. Like, I know, for instance, James Harden is an elite player. He may choke in the playoffs, but he's an elite player in this league. We've Hmm. seen it. And I think with Ben Simmons, it's like where... We're happy. We know we, it's we, the eye test is fairly easy in, in in basketball. Like I just feel like sometimes there's some players that we just some people just want to like convince themselves that they're going to be this great player when it's not going to happen. It's just not. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe Daryl Moore. He's a smart guy. He approaches the game from a very um, innovative standpoint. So if there's anybody to really unlock the code and maybe get this team to um, think differently, it's them. It's him, and also from an offensive standpoint, too, which is something in the East. And I don't know what it is about the Eastern Conference. They've always been, I think, within the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, more of a traditionally defensive conference. Um, So maybe to get some more scoring um, into that offense. And I think we've seen it. I mean, we've seen it, too. They're pretty high scoring anyway. But I guess in terms of in the playoff situation, them being a prominent offensive force, um, and unlocking that offensive ability of Ben Simmons, I, you know, maybe Daryl Moore is the key. So I'm willing to be bullish like you, but I'm still skeptical just because of Ben Simmons. I'm just not a believer of his. What are your thoughts on, you know, maybe let's say let's say the Sixers don't make any major moves. Let's let's say the roster is the same other than the draft picks they bring in and start to develop, which, you know, they were a playoff team. So. We're assuming, I mean, unless you get like some some kind of Giannis impact type player, which there doesn't seem to be one in this draft. Let's just assume draft picks are negligible. What do you think of the notion that this team is going to be positively impacted by the prestige of the names that are in this front office now, like Doc Rivers compared to Brett Brown? 
Daryl Morey compared to where they were before. Um, do you think that that this helps elevate and and make Joel Embiid? Let's say, do you think he gets in better shape for the next season and and becomes you know the beast that we've been wanting to see for years? Um, it cuts both ways. I mean, I do think that Doc is super player friendly. At the same time, we've seen him also at odds with his players, too. It hasn't gone perfectly. Mm-hmm. And with Embiid, he is a volatile personality. So it could go both ways. Um, and also, it also could go negatively in terms of the pressure, right? We've seen with Doc Rivers, he's blown some huge leads in the playoffs mm-hmm. very, you know, publicly. And look at Daryl Morey in terms of the Rockets struggling and never able to really be that as top established Western Conference power. So... There's big names there, but honestly, they don't have that great pedigree, especially, you know, Daryl Morey. I think Doc Rivers won a title. Um, You know, he has that championship pedigree with him. But at the same time, there's been a lot of, you know, non-success as well. And especially in Philly with that fan base, they're pretty ruthless. (laughs) The the patience is only going to be for so long. And unfortunately for them, the previous regime, I mean, they, I got the sense that the fans were somewhat patient for, for being Philly fans. I don't think Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey are going to be afforded the same opportunity. Yeah, I think bringing in those two names, the the expectation is win right now. I, I think you're you're still there. There was no foot off the gas pedal by the offseason moves that, that the ownership has made. It's, hey, we've got talent. We are up against the cap <laughs> we we have a ton of talent on this roster um you know so let's let's cultivate that talent and develop that talent into something that that can win in the playoffs let's cultivate that into something that can get the bounces to go another way on Kawhi's buzzer beater and then we win that series <laughs> um i yeah i i think point well taken i i i for me just just to be blunt and i don't know kind of kind of put it in uh kind of shut the book on this i if Embiid can't respond to this team and and what has been presented with him um as you'd have to assume he's still the leader he's still the heart of this team if he can't respond now then then i'm really out on Embiid i mean i i've kind of been there anyway in in things i've said before on this podcast but Look, I mean, you you need to come into the season very hungry. You need to get in shape. You need to be be ready to go. Uh, and I don't even think you can you can wait a couple months to get there. I, I mean, I hope he is he is working his butt off right now in order to make that happen because I I think he has he has had a pretty good situation there in Philly, and he's basically had the run of that town, that organization. And it's time to really, really put up. And I, I like Joel Embiid. I like that he cried in, in the playoffs when they lost to Toronto. I like Me that too. he cares. I, I love that spirit. But you got you have to do the daily things you need to do to get there. And and certainly their failures this year weren't all on Embiid or anything like that. Like they had injuries again in the playoffs. Um, some, some of that stuff can't be helped but but it's really time to see that like first team all nba center potential of Embiid at this point in his career 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm I'm in the same mindset as you, Matt, and I would say even higher on Joel Embiid. I've always been a huge fan of his. I mean, he went out playing fantasy basketball for one year. He was on my team, and he carried him proudly until he got hurt. So I've always seen the talent in Embiid. But yeah, his weight's an issue. His motivation's an issue. I think his mental psyche in terms of how he approaches the game is it's a problem um, in mm-hmm. terms of his focus on the court. And uh, compared, he has a contemporary in Giannis who is very dominant, you know, despite, you know, there might be weaknesses on Giannis's part, but Giannis is always very consistent. And with Embiid, the, the consistency is a massive factor. So no doubt, I would say more than the coaching, it's really on him to, to prove what he, what he can really do his worth. Um, and I do think, they're going to pick on a player to get rid of. It's probably going to be Joel Embiid, to be honest. He's kind oh, of really? like the sex. I think even though I would keep Embiid, I get the sense that with Ben Simmons, I don't really know how much you would get on the trade market with him. I don't really know. I don't know his contract status, but I guess in a hypothetical scenario in which we know which one you get the better value of, I think Embiid just because he has more, I guess, sexier potential uh, on mm. a different squad. Um, and I think from a 76er standpoint, you can get a lot more from him. I don't know what he can get for Ben Simmons, to be honest. I'd be fairly surprised in the trade market. And I think if you were to get rid of Embiid and get you know, some good stuff for him, you could morph Ben Simmons within that structure compared to vice versa. If you get rid of Ben Simmons, what are you going to get for him? And then you're stuck with a you know questionable Joel Embiid. Um, so I, I think it's a touchy situation, but I think at the front office, especially if Embiid shows that he can't get along with Doc Rivers, I think he's probably on the chopping block. Yeah, yeah. And I think if Doc Rivers is able to unlock Embiid the way that that we hope he can, I, I think he's he's worth every bit of his contract. If If we just see in shape determine Joel Embiid. I, I think that's enough really that this Sixers team can compete as a top four seed in the East. And then maybe even above and beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I think this will be very interesting to watch. Um, Matt, did you have any other NBA news you want us to touch on before we um, push it to our interview with Ben Lyons? No, I'm, I'm good, man. I would just direct the listeners. I, if you haven't been paying attention to the feed we've we've had more interviews popping up justin had a great one just the other day with uh matt peck from uh i'm sorry justin give them the uh the podcast name locked on bulls podcast and also um nbc sports chicago as well as if you um a fan of chicago bulls like i am um, it's it's an interview not to mess he has a lot of great information yeah yeah great listen definitely go check that out uh and we have more exciting content coming up uh, sometime later this week. Probably I'll just kind of tease it. Stay tuned to to our feed. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. Uh, did you have anything else this week, Justin? No, that's it. Like you said, Matt, uh, we got a lot of great interviews coming up within the next couple of weeks. Um, stay tuned our, to our, our social media um, to be the first to catch all those um, audio um basketball goodness uh, right now we have plenty of great interviews in our archives um like like you said matt we have matt peck from lockdown bulls podcast we have harrison Wynn um covering the denver nuggets for dnvr sports uh we still have um ali cosell uh from the bird rights so uh, covering the pelicans um 
we have Kareth Burke of the Golden State Warriors. We still got Harrison Fagan, um, Lakers insider, um, Dwayne Rankin. Um, so we have all those interviews coming up, not to mention Ben Lyons. Um, and we have several interviews coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. Um, with uh, plenty of NBA insider interviews as well as some surprises. Um, so stay tuned to our feed to catch all of our information. As always, um, leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget to email us um, at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. So for Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrum. We'll see you next time. For right now, stay tuned for our interview for Ben Lyons, and we'll see you later. Peace. He is the host of NBA TV's GM School. We welcome on to Hoopsology, Ben Lyons. How's it going, Ben? Thanks for having me, thanks for having me on the show. Shout out to RJ Barrett. What's up, guys? <laughs> um, ben, we, we wanted to have you on because we talked to a journalist um, in the Arizona area um, who talked to a contestant that was on um, – MBHGM school and I found the show really fascinating. So, can you just walk us through how the concept was created and, and what's the the goal of the show for the viewers watching at home? Thanks for the kind words. Yeah, I had a blast getting to work on it. The idea uh, came from a partnership between SAP and the NBA. We wanted to create some programming that really highlights the league's influence the, the league's uh you know reliance on analytics and how analytics and data have become such a big part of the conversation around basketball at the highest level so something different for for nba tv and um it was a lot of fun who did they get a chance to talk to who's the contestant that you guys linked up with or your friend did um i think it was the winner um i forgot her name i believe she was Kalita. the lawyer there you go yes Kalita. yeah, yeah. she was tremendous uh, all, all the contestants were, and it was, you know, it's an unnatural environment, obviously, for these guys who aren't on TV every day to, to, to fly down to Atlanta and be in the NBA TV studios where you never know who's going to be around the corner, whether it's D-Wade or Candace Parker or Sam Mitchell or Jason Terry. It's like it's a basketball funhouse down there. So these kids were came in a little wide-eyed, but by the end were really comfortable, and each one brought a lot to it, and it's really cool to hear you respond to the show. As a basketball fan, it's something I would watch, so the fact I get to be a part of it is is really special. Do you think from the contestants, they seem like regular fans, is it possible for a regular fan to actually become a, a GM? Is that actually a path realistic um, to the NBA climate today, in your opinion? Well, I think, honestly, you know, everybody brings their life experience to it, whether it's as a fan, as a coach, as a player, as an executive. Um, you know, Rob Palenka was an agent for many years and then came to the Lakers and is their, you know, general manager and is able to win a championship in a short amount of time. So it's like, you know, everybody brings something different to it. I think for all these young contestants, they're all just jumping in the pool and trying to swim, whether they work at a radio station or they work for their college basketball team. Like one of the uh, kids named Ben did down at Baylor. Um, you know, when you're, when you're just starting out, you're doing just that you're starting out. So you're trying to make your path and make your name and get your experience up. And I don't, I think what's empowering about the path to being a front office person in the NBA is that there is no path and that everybody kind of, you know, finds their way as, as they go. I mean, you look at, Jeff Van Gundy and, 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 you know, Stan Van Gundy and that family, 
as being such, you know, what, what they bring to the table, but as opposed to, say, a Joe Dumars, who was a player for many years and had success as an executive. So everybody's bringing something different to the table, I think. Ben, can you can you go over real quick for, um, you know, for our listeners out there, how, how are these contestants selected? I know there was a screening process. They submitted videos. They shot themselves on tape. They, you know, they wrote uh, about what it would mean to them, why they want to work in the front office. Um, you know, this is the second season, but a bigger, bigger run the fir- uh, than the first go around. Um, and so you had contestants applying from all over the world and they were able to pick a diverse group of five who are a lot of different backgrounds and expertise and strengths and skill sets. And, yeah, it was. Uh, it, I think there's a lot that you can take away from the show if you're a fan of how teams are being built and what GMs have to go through and the way they have to deal with the media and the fan base and ownership and players and all the responsibilities that that go into it for a for a for a TV show. I think it did a really good job of trying to capture all that. Absolutely, absolutely. And so there there are plans for more seasons coming up. I hope so. You want to get on the phone? Call NBA TV? Let's let's get into it. I I think, honestly, you know, it's so crazy, guys, the way it all happened is that we shot this in the first week of March. So, you know, I remember being on set and hearing coronavirus, coronavirus, this COVID thing. And by the end, Sam Mitchell's giving everybody fist bumps and stuff. And about a week later is when Rudy Gobert was the first NBA player to come down with, with, with positive tests. So, you know, the the that show to me is real kind of demarcation in time. And that we were able to to shoot it before the world shifted and shut down, and and now I think with just just the fact that they were able to finish the season, it was like all hands on deck across just basketball culture for both the men and the women to get them to have a a full season in a bubble. So now that everybody can come up for air a little bit, hopefully we'll be able to figure out for another go around because, like I said, I had so much fun doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and again, anyone who hasn't watched, make sure you check it out. Uh, really, really awesome show. Kind of one of those those great shows that uh, you can you can kind of be like an armchair viewer, so to speak. Be uh, you know, kind of strategizing along with the contestants while you're watching, or, or at least for myself, that's that's very much how it was. Yeah. Um, so transitioning into that and, and talking about March, we we were hoping we could get your thoughts on just the NBA bubble overall, how the league was able to handle that. Obviously the tough transition on, I mean, everyone in in general with everything that went down with the pandemic, but what were your thoughts about the bubble, how the rest of that season panned out um, and just in general, how the NBA handled its business? It's incredible. I mean, honestly, when you, when you're talking about leadership and you're talking about um, providing a, a path towards, you know, moving forward, the NBA stepped in when, leadership in this country did not and to uh to be able to keep everyone safe to be able to put on basketball at a level in which the players bought in and competed and put their careers and their risks and their health and their reputations on the line um to go out there every night for the summer and and give us something to kind of take our minds off the the terrible year it's been was incredible and Shouts out to, to the men and women, like the WNBA, what they did in their bubble this year was was terrific as well. And and all the conversation around, all oh, ratings are down. You know, you see idiots like Ted Cruz tweeting out, go woke, go broke. And you're, no, 
It's just that your model for quantifying viewership is antiquated and archaic. More highlights were shared of Luka Doncic hitting that three against the Clippers. That was shared around the world in a metric that you're not quantifying. More people are talking about Big Face Coffee and Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero, and these guys are becoming household names. Nothing to do with ratings. They're at the center of the cultural zeitgeist to see Black Lives Matter on television every single night, to see Breonna Taylor's name on the back of every jersey in the W. That begins to really uh, ingrain itself into the public consciousness, and, and that's necessary right now in this moment. So I'm so proud of the NBA, the WNBA, of basketball culture in general for what they were able to do. Uh, and it was just – it was really uh, – it was really fun to see, man. It was really fun to watch games every single night. It felt like being at the world's greatest basketball camp and you were just Agreed. going to the NBA court every night and checking it out. Like it was definitely its own moment in time. And, and, the, and um, I'm so excited that there's talks of getting the league back up and running already again in December, which will be in, you know, six weeks or something. So they did a great job. Ben, you mentioned in terms of how, the league is measured with his success. And um, Matt and I have been debating in terms of ratings and in terms of how the league has been affected, not only through the bubble, but also through just the relations with China and also through the metrics that um, the, the league's popularity is measured. And I wanted to ask you, how seriously should we take television ratings? I mean, a lot of things that get shared digitally, like you said, Ben, it's through YouTube, it's through social media. Um, should like in the future television ratings be taken that seriously? Because like you mentioned, I mean the Luka Doncic that game winning shot. I mean that that was I would say the highlight of sports in this entire year, arguably. <laughs> so uh, how how much can we really take television ratings in this new age where things are going streaming? I stream everything. I can't remember the last time I owned like a regular TV antenna <laughs> to watch anything, <laughs> let alone like cable box. Yeah, so, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. It is time for a new way to kind of quantify the stocks. And the real people who understand culture and how it shifts and how it moves are able to put their finger on the pulse of something that's not tangible. You know the NBA is popping when you see Rihanna courtside and you see LeBron on TV with Obama and you see – you know, James Harden, uh, you know, with massive shoe deals. and It's popping. Like, I, so if your metric of, of Nielsen Cable Box tells me that, oh, well, the ratings in 2010 when it was Lakers, Celtics were bigger than 2020, I'm not going to believe you because, honestly, there was no Instagram back then. There was no TikTok. There was no, I guarantee you the television ratings for the NBA Finals in Australia were bigger this year than they were two years ago or three years ago. Maybe. So I think the game's growing. The WNBA numbers, they're going up in the TV metrics. Like in, in the antiquated model, they're still going up. The NBA, the WNBA draft this year with Sabrina going number one was up 125%. So I think, you know, you got to look at other, here's a game I like to play, right? It's to kind of compare all the sports or to compare if somebody is a big enough celebrity or an actor or whatever, can they host Saturday Night Live and not have you go, huh? Your musical <laughs> guest Coldplay mm -hmm. and your host 
Mariano Rivera. Okay, maybe 10 years ago, if the Yankees had just won the World Series. But now they're going to Mike Trout. So you're going to see it. Everyone's going to be like, huh, what, really? You do that for the NBA? Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, LeBron James. Like, there are a lot of guys who could host that now, and you'd be like, okay, that makes sense. And the reason I play that game is because it helps me kind of understand Oh, that makes sense in culture. That's what people are talking about. That's what people care about. And if you think the NBA is struggling, then I think you're out of your mind. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, there's no shortage of household names in the NBA, that's for sure. Um, I want, Boban. I your... Boban is a household name. This man plays <laughs> eight minutes a night. It's true. And yep. the cancer is taking on the president of Turkey. This man plays six minutes a week. You know what I mean? These guys are at the center of all facets of culture. It's incredible. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on the look and feel of the bubble as well. I think we're all in agreement that, uh, you know, the bubble was I, well executed would be kind of an understatement. I, I was pretty masterful the way they were able to put that all together and, and get it done. What were your thoughts of the look and feel of the bubble, given that with circumstances being what there were, we couldn't have fans in there? Did you like the virtual fan screens? Uh, did you feel like a lot was missing not having fans in the stadium? What, what were your thoughts of the look and feel of the bubble? I appreciate the fact that they were able to put it on and make it feel big and special. And it didn't look like they were playing pickup at Chris Brickley's gym or like at LA fitness. Like it looked and felt at the level of, of, of that these guys deserve. That said, the virtual fans terrify me. Like the idea of hologram <laughs> fans and computer screen people. And that's just terrifying. Um, and I think, you know, and I think if you talk to a lot of the reporters, like I'm, lucky enough to be friends with some of those folks who are doing sideline interviews and stuff. And they'll tell you, yeah, there's some nights where there wasn't a lot of juice in the gym, you know, and it was, that's why you saw the Lakers really every time a big run, they'd all jump off the bench and really be into it. And JR and Dudley were like kind of cheerleading a lot because that place was, there was a little a juice that was missing. And look, I've always prided myself on being a real fan with real access. There's nothing I love more than getting the chance to go to a game and, interact with the players and get into it. And I think the, the NBA needs fans in the stands. I think it's a big part of it. Again, to that point, I was saying of, of zeitgeist, like when, when you got tickets for a Nick game on a Friday night, even if they're 10 games under 500 in November, it doesn't matter. Like you feel like you're at the center of the world. When you go to Staples center on a Friday night, and there's Denzel. It just makes everything feel bigger and, the fans um, are a huge part of, of the culture of the game. And that's, that's a big part of this conversation on all of the Lakers. Is it an asterisk or no, it's not. It's the bubble title. It's its own title. You know, I think, I think it has its own challenges. And I think um, the look back to your original question though, the look of it on television though, looks great for all of us watching at home and, and those photos will forever be iconic. And they'll look at the, I hope we never get to see bubble basketball again. I pray every day we never see bubble basketball again. So uh, it is a moment in time, and, and um, it'll forever be cemented that way. Where do you think that the league goes from here? Um, I want to ask you from a kind of social justice standpoint, um, because um, just because 
the uh, players and the league um, were on the same page in a bubble in terms of putting, you know, the names on the back of the jerseys. Black Lives Matter, like you mentioned earlier. Um, it doesn't mean that, that the fight just stops when the bubble is over. Um, it's still going to go on for years and years. And we, we heard that Commissioner Adam Silver recently said that um, – that's going to be discontinued in terms of the name, the the Black Lives Matter on the court, um, and the names on the back of the jerseys. But the the social justice initiatives will live on. Do you think that's enough, or do you think you know the the league itself should take more of a, of a stance moving forward? Because looking at the WNBA, um, like you also mentioned, they have been really the, the leaders in not only just the basketball world but in sports, um, and leading yeah. social justice causes. So. I've debated with Matt just in terms of where does the the NBA go from here in terms of addressing um, social justice issues because you know the election is going to be over um, and there's not going to be a spotlight on these issues um, in in the coming years but yet the, these these important um, issues that affect you know everyday people still happen so how do you think the NBA is, should move forward with that? You know, I think, as always, the league will look to its players for guidance, and, and the Banana Boat crew at the twilight of their career really seem to be the elder statesmen and leaders of the league. Melo and LeBron and Chris Paul, and these guys will have a, uh, have a good understanding of what needs to be done when the league does come back. I think, uh, the, as far as names on the jerseys go, without, that might go away, but the idea that players aren't going to be talking about these things. Players aren't going to be in post-game interviews mentioning things that are happening in the country. I think that's forever changed. I think when you're talking about guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and, you know, this young generation of players, Donovan Mitchell, these guys are, are now what, this is their league, 22, 23, 24. They're about to write the next chapters of the NBA history books. And, they grew up on this and they're part of this and that's not going to go away with them. Just like that next kid who's 12 years old practicing in his backyard who grew up now watching the bubble and watching LeBron. When he gets to the league, he understands that it's cool to be involved in the local politics of the team he's on. When Jaron Jackson in 2017 or 18, I think walked on that NBA draft stage after being the number four overall selection for the Grizzlies and comes out rocking a rock the vote jacket, like that let that what a moment to come in and say, Hey, I'm nineteen years old and I'm coming out making a statement in the league as I'm entering this. Like that dude's gonna be doing a ton of work in Tennessee and wherever else he ends up. So I don't think it goes away. It might not be as front and center, but you know, that's that's the way it is also in the country. I mean, our country was was at a place where this that was the energy and the league didn't shy away from it, didn't try and ignore it. And uh, I'm, I'm, again, very proud of the NBA and WNBA for constantly turning to their players who, who define the league and create the league for guidance. And they don't tell their players to stand up and not kneel or shut up and dribble or all these things that are, are, are so horrible if you really think of them on the human level. So I'm excited how basketball will always be the leader in this conversation around equality and social justice. And I think um, – I think the league is going to be is going to be right there when it gets back up. It's going to be point of com conversation with basketball forever. Mm. Ben, let me ask you, just kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit. Do you think that there's there's an additional pressure, like say on rookies coming into the league or guys who maybe are making their first All Star team next year? So maybe not, you know, like your banana boat crew, like statesmen yeah. of the league. Yeah. 
Do you think there's an added pressure now in the league to where, you know, maybe you're not someone who playing in high school and college, um, maybe you weren't very privy to these larger social issues that we all agree are, are very important. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think there's an added pressure now for players to get involved in that, even if, say, maybe they aren't drawn to speak out about things? Maybe they have more of like a, I don't know, like a Charles Barkley, like I'm not a role model type mentality. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. You know, not everyone is necessarily comfortable being a messenger, but they can be an organizer and they can be a supporter. I mean, in any other walk of life, if somebody were to make $18 million a year, they'd be the talk of their industry. They'd be on the cover of industry trades. If there was a dentist or a real estate agent who made 18 mil a year, everyone would be like, what's up with that person? What's their secret? <laughs> in the NBA, it's Tim Hardaway Jr., right? So you're yeah. like, okay, so shouldn't he stand for something beyond basketball? Like, and that's on him. And that's, there is pressure, I think, for any company, any business to represent something. If you're just, it's 2020 and you're like, you know what? I'm going to start a t-shirt company and I'm going to sell these t-shirts. Well, where are they being made? Who's making them? Where, what happens to them when they're, when they're discarded? You know, so these are all questions that companies have to answer. So these players have to answer them as well. And, and if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So if you don't want to get in the political ring, that's fine in terms of the pilot, certain races. But there are issues that are affecting your community that you have the means and the platform to affect. So if you choose not to, or if you're not comfortable and you choose not to educate yourself so you can then become comfortable, then that's totally on you. And you should be held accountable and called to task for it. Yeah, I guess that kind of comes with um... – you know, these players kind of uh, becoming their own brands, so to speak, more so than than we've ever seen before, you know, really with like things like LeBron's decision back in in uh, 2010, I guess that was uh, yeah. you know, where we really started that player empowerment movement. I, I guess that kind of also leads to now you have to operate like your own corporation uh, to your point there. Yeah. And look, I can't think of any like too many players who who are who are just, who don't represent something whether it's their town their college their family they're a gamer they're a whatever it is you're into you gotta you gotta be able to share that with the world now or else just kind of it's just a wasted opportunity unfortunately but the good thing is that there are enough players especially in the W oh, man I just worked really closely with Terry Jackson Jaron's mom who's the president of the WNBA Players Association and the eagerness to jump into any social conversation uh, across the board from the players is just phenomenal and should be celebrated more. I mean, my goodness, Maya Moore, if she's not winning all the awards, like what? How is that not the greatest story ever? So, you know, I think, um, I think there is a lot of pressure, but I think these, these men and women want to like, you know, pressure is a privilege as Billie Jean King said. So I think they want to step up to the moment and, and, and add their own sauce to it. Ben, uh, we also want to get your opinion, just shifting gears, um, to 
basketball players uh, focusing more on entertainment adventures. Um, LeBron um, creating his own, um, I believe, his movie production company. Um, and other athletes talking about getting into not only the film industry, but the, the music industry as well. And then being more predominantly um, involved. Um, what was considered, in my opinion, kind of, I don't know, the, the common person would laugh at them. Now they're being taken a lot more seriously um, in these other ventures outside of the court. What do you make of that? And do you think that would be a normal thing to see athletes immediately just get involved um, in the film world um, in the future as just with rookies entering the league? Do you think you'll see more just first, second year players just automatically um, crossing over into kind of the entertainment world as, as well as um, keeping their um, kind of NBA duties, so to speak? Yeah, I think so, man. And, you know, if you look at just the business of storytelling, it's become much more inclusive over the last, 20 years and not just in terms of diversity, but in terms of access to technology or content distribution. It used to be the big movie studios would put out a couple movies a weekend and that's kind of all you got. And then independent films started to become more prevalent. Then you started to see the streaming now. Now it's like there's so much content that you can make affordably. So NBA players bring a lot of value to the content conversation, whether it's money, which is always going to move the needle first-hand experience because the story matter is something that they know about or can connect to or three just like marketing reach the fact that if they're involved in the project now people might start to pay attention a little bit more so they bring tremendous value to it um i'm working on a couple projects uh as a producer in partnership with some former current NBA, WNBA players, and their eagerness to jump in in every facet of the development process. They want to Zoom with the writer. They want to share their notes on the treatment. They want to bring relationships to the project. And all these things, um, it's, it's really cool to see. And I think you're seeing it also from the older players who are retired. Like, look at a guy like Dwayne Wade. Like, Dwayne Wade just retired. He's, what, 39 that dude now is a big fat deal at Turner and is going to be able to create so much content, whether it's documentaries, feature films, stuff in Bleacher that's short form, TikToks with his kids. Like that dude's going to be at the center of storytelling at whatever scale he wants to play at. You know, and what's cool about uh, being an NBA player is that everybody in Hollywood wants to take a meeting with you. So it's like that gives you a huge leg up as well. Um, there's an excitement that, that permeates through a pitch meeting or an awards red carpet when an athlete shows up that's just different than any Hollywood person. i never forget being at an HBO uh, Golden Globes party and Kobe showed up and people lost their minds. Like, like Eric Stone Street from Modern Family was like standing on a table trying to get a picture. It's like, <laughs> it's just like it turned everyone into fan, fanboys and fangirls. And it's like, you know, I think that energy is something that Hollywood gravitates toward. They want the juice. They want the excitement. So why not bring in an athlete to be an EP on a project? And also, too, look at the world of sports storytelling, especially at the Oscars. Last few years in the documentary category, Free Solo about a mountain climber, Icarus mm. about a bike rider, the O.J. Simpson documentary for ESPN. All three of them won the Oscar for Best Documentary. And you saw Tanya Harding's story win an Oscar for Allison Janney. You saw Kobe win an Oscar. You know, there's always whiplash is, is not necessarily a traditional sports movie, but ask Kyrie Irving what his favorite sports movie is. He'll tell you it's whiplash. And it's like you're seeing Black Swan. You're seeing these kind of movies that are, we like to call sports cinema 
take take a seat at the table in the cultural conversation. I think NBA players are going to be even closer and more intimately involved with, with all those types of projects. And are those the stories that they want to tell is more centered on the sports world in terms of kind of docudramas, or are they even focused on like even their own ideas outside of the, the genre that they have the most um, familiarity with? Um, so maybe like, I, I don't know, comics, all of it, all of it. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're somebody who's like, you know, a, a world-class athlete at that level, you are led into certain rooms and you're at certain dinners that would just spark an interest or curiosity to then go down and want to tell a story about something. Now you're going to see Disney do a story about Giannis and his life in Greece before he was, you know, a, a big time basketball player. You're going to see, um, you know, LeBron obviously was space jam, which is something that's super poppy and commercial and fun for, you know, younger kids as well. Uh, Mello and like you know, I think he's done a tremendous. Mello's been making documentaries. He's a producer on the Mike Tyson documentary from about ten years ago, um, and, and and you'll see him doing a lot of social justice documentaries, a lot of stuff with the social change fund that him and Dwayne Wade started, a lot of you know content that speaks to those kinds of issues. But yeah, I'll, I'll also like subscribe to his Pinot Noir newsletter, which I get on Mondays, and maybe he makes like a great sommelier story one day. Who knows? But like these guys have such varied interests. I mean, Russell like Russell Westbrook doing a you know a, a fashion documentary with like a, a big time to Jason Wu, like big time designer of Zach Posen. It's not too far off, you know. So I think you're gonna see uh, I think you see all that stuff. Well, Ben, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate it. Please uh, plug what you're working on currently and, and, and where we can find you on social media. I am trying to shoot my age on the golf course. I'm 39 now, so if I can shoot my age on the front, that's fantastic. <laughs> we're trying to go. work on things because we know we can't hit it 280 when we're 60, so we're going to have to have to work on the short game a little bit if we want to shoot our age or our 70s. But no, jokes aside, I thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about GM school, talk about issues affecting the league and, and, and the sport. Uh, I'm just trying to go wherever I can, you know, get in and fit in and make sense, man, whether it's the Oscars, the NBA finals, the fact that anybody will hire me and, and, and let me, you know, assist in telling stories is a, a true gift and a privilege. I, I mean that in all sincerity. So I hope people go vote. I hope people are going to hold the people that they do vote for accountable. Like you guys said, this doesn't end after the election. And, uh, and who knows what's next, man? Honestly, I'm keeping an open mind and an open heart. I just wrote an article on John Wallace for Slam Magazine. That was pretty cool. That was a buck of this moment. So just trying to do my thing and have fun, man. That's awesome, Ben. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. And we'll be uh, looking out for your work in 2021. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Shout out to Mitchell Robinson, who holds the single season record for NBA field goal percentage, passing Will Chamberlain. Just want to put that out there, guys. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, Ben.